0: Hello everyone and welcome to Esoterica. This is the interview. Today is a very special day because it is a Vonnegut themed uh, interview session. And I am so delighted and honored to have two guests, uh, Julia Whitehead, who is the author of this uh, fabulous new book called uh, Breaking Down Vonnegut. Uh, Julia is also the CEO let me get that right, the CEO of the Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library in Indianapolis. Yes. And with Julia, I have Robert Basler. Robert is a lifelong journalist. He uh, He's uh, incidentally, formerly my boss in a previous life. So I'll just put that out there. I hope I do a good job, Bob. And um, he, uh, Bob has, God, he's worked everywhere. He's, I mean, an international journalist. He's lived in too many places to name, uh, but he's from Indianapolis, and now he's returned to Indianapolis. And he actually wrote for Esoterica recently about his um, interview with Kurt Vonnegut um, many years ago. And um, thank you, Bob and Julia, for joining us today.
1: Thanks thank for having
0: you. me. So, uh, so many questions, and of course, Vonnegut is such a cult favorite. I mean. God, I, I don't know one person I can come across or can think of that hasn't heard of him or read his books. Um, so, Julia, tell me, how did you come to find Vonnegut? I mean, everyone has a Vonnegut story, but what's what's your Vonnegut story?
2: So it's, uh, it's a little complicated because it involves multiple people introducing me to Vonnegut. But when it, it really hit me um, was... Um, just a few, I had read him in in high school, not as part of the curriculum, but um, separately. But then later in life, uh, when I read more of his books, it was God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater, um, that I read when I decided to start the Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library. Um, And, you know, I I married into the full Vonnegut collection of books, which helped (laughs) because I didn't have the full collection prior to that. But um, yeah, it's just been a great journey.
0: So, God bless you, Mr. Rosewater. Convince you to start the museum? I mean, that's... <laughs> can we unwrap that? <laughs> little bit? Uh, how, how did that happen?
2: Well, so so that book is so full of common decency, Vonnegut's common decency, um, just kindness and selflessness and also absurdity and humor. Um, and so... I was actually attending a memorial service for a professor from an all-male college uh, the day I had the idea for the Vonnegut Library. And all these men were in this chapel at this university, uh, Wabash College here in Indiana. And you know these men are crying for this, um, the death of this professor. And I thought, who would I have a big memorial service for? And I landed on Kurt Vonnegut. Um, and then that night I was wrecking my then baby, now 14 year old to sleep. (laughs) And I, my mind just started going of like, where is there a Vonnegut museum? Is there a place where you can learn about his life and work and talk about what, you know, his ideas were and all that. And so then after I put the baby down, I went and Googled and there wasn't a place to to go. Interesting. And, and this became, um, a life,
0: it must be a life mission, I'm assuming. I mean, it's, it's a huge undertaking uh, for such a celebrity cult author. I mean... Well, tell us a little bit about the museum. I mean, what can a person expect in, in non-COVID times at the museum?
2: Yeah. And we are, you know, we're open now and we have distanced um, tours and things. So it's it's really safe to to come these days. Um, we, we make it that way. Um, but we have Vonnegut's typewriter. We have his reading glasses, a host of personal items like that. Um, okay. We have a, an education center where we um, have a youth writing program. We do author talks. We do jazz nights. We Just all right. kinds of things. So people have to go to Vonnegutlibrary.org to see. Plus, this year's his 100th birthday. Um, we have a huge unveiling on April 10th. We will receive the first ever literary landmark in the state of Indiana. Um, so that's we get that historical marker on April 10th big free community festival day um so we hope people will come out for that we're also unveiling a women who shaped Vonnegut exhibition in the building and then outside yeah. we're unveiling a jazz Vonnegut and jazz exhibit
0: wow I would love to hear more about that um that's I mean that's really fascinating um so yeah it, it is you're right um I guess it's a big birthday of Vonnegut's coming up and it's also incidentally I was looking at uh Coming up on the anniversary of the bombing of Dresden, which uh, was obviously a very formative event in in Vonnegut's life and career. Um, Now, you have a military background. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I lucked out because I served during the Bill Clinton years when it was a fairly peaceful time for our country. Um, But, you know, I think it's important for people to understand that a lot of people were, a lot of veterans were attracted to Vonnegut because here was this person who volunteered to serve just like I did and also had uh, an anti-war, you know, philosophy. It's like, how can that be in one person, you know, but it, I think I related to Vonnegut. I think lots of veterans do when we do our veterans writing workshops and other programs that we do you know we hear that um and Vonnegut was never against the military he was always for the troops always for the troops
1: um but it was
2: really those you know uh government decisions to send young 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 people off to, to war um that he had a problem with and that that a lot of us have um, you know, have a problem with. And I didn't mention well, it, if I may, Slaughterhouse-Five yeah. mentioned Dresden. So up on our third floor of our building, we have a, we call it, you know, bombed out Dresden. I mean, it tells that story of his experience and also ties in his fiction, Slaughterhouse-Five.
0: Wow, no, it's fine. I mean, interesting. And you're, you're right, actually. I mean, he he's never said anything negative about the military as far from what I recall. Uh, but
2: very
1: anti-war in a lot yes. of his writings. Yeah. Do I remember correctly the museum has a great collection of his rejection slips?
2: Yeah, we do. I'm so glad you mentioned that, Bob. That is definitely a crowd pleaser to, you know, see some of these comments about, you know, you're never going to make it kind of comments, um, especially the ones that came from uh, some of the women's magazines where, you know, he was a little too heavy handed When talking about the firebombing of Dresden or something, it's, it's, they're pretty comical.
0: Oh my God, I would love to read that because, of course, you know, who wouldn't love to see (laughs) someone as famous as Vonnegut get turned down at some point in his life? But wow, that's Mm -hmm. fascinating.
2: And his, his kids had so, have so many of these rejection letters. They gave us a nice stack of them when they, they came when we first opened. Um, about a dozen years ago, um, but you know, they showed up with all of these wonderful artifacts and for them, it was just dad's stuff in this old suitcase. That's, you know, here are dad's glasses and here, you know, these wonderful things. Um, and so it's, a you know, we're, we're blessed to have so many um, personal items from Kurt and his artwork. We have his artwork on display as well. Oh, sorry, I actually have his artwork. <laughs>
0: so I should have brought it. He's hanging in a different room, uh, but I do have his artwork as well. mean, I, I know people. Not everyone knows that Kurt Vonnegut was was an art. I mean, of course, they know his art in his inside his books. But I mean, it's also his art that actually lives outside the books.
2: Yes, and actually, oh, I'm pointing the wrong direction. This piece of art behind me is a Kurt Vonnegut. That's right. I can I notice it from here. That
0: yeah, I love that piece. Um, so uh, I'm going to I'm going to segue to Bob. Uh, Bob, tell us your Vonnegut story. I mean, we know you interviewed him and it was a, a really important interview, I'm, I'm assuming, for you. But
1: it how was. did you come
0: to find him? Like, What's your Vonnegut story?
1: I, I found him at the Indianapolis Public Library in, in the early 60s uh, with Mother Knight. And um, uh, I read the book. For jacket, you know, and, and it, it, it said this guy was from Indianapolis and mentioned the Unitarian Church and a bunch of other trigger words that meant something to me. And he was north side of Indianapolis. He'd gone to the same high school as my parents um, and the arch rival of my high school. And I, I just loved the book. And I read Cat's Cradle next. And just I was I was totally hooked. Then he moved to uh, upstate New York and my wife and I moved to upstate New York, got jobs in Albany. Then he moved to New York City, and I found myself there with Reuters. And that's when I decided to interview him. And when I was in upstate New York, I interviewed his, his brother, who was a, a noted scientist at the time, too.
0: Oh, I didn't realize he interviewed both him and his brother. Okay, so tell us about the interview with with, Vonnegut, with Kurt Vonnegut Jr. Um, how, where, where did that take place? What, <clears> what, what surprised you about it?
1: Um, it was at his co-op in Turtle Bay uh, section of Manhattan, and um, uh, I had set it up with him personally. That's the way he liked to do things. They give you his uh, home number, and then you had to tear it up and never call it, call it again after you <laughs> interviewed him. Did and you he, tear it up? No, uh, did not. Um, but I never used it again either. Um, and I was—I don't know what I was expecting. I, I don't think I'd ever seen him interviewed and uh, I was expecting he'd be kind of gruff and a little like his books, you know, and he was very funny, very um, amiable, and uh, he he liked to break the ice and chat a little bit first, and he said, well, where are you from? And I said, Indianapolis, and he said, I'm from Indianapolis, you know, as if I didn't didn't know that, um, <laughs> and then he said, we're going to school, and I said, you're in the university, and he said, no, high school, I don't care where you went to college, and he had we had gone to these arch rival high schools and just did a lot of reminiscing about the old days in Indianapolis. Mm
0: -hmm. So, I mean, tell us a little bit about, I mean, Indianapolis, uh, plays a a really integral role in in his writing And, and from your work writing about Kurt Vonnegut. I mean, it's, he felt it was really hard to separate the person from the place. Um, and I mean, can you tell us a little bit about that? I mean, why? I would say that if, yeah.
1: if, you're a, if you're a person in Indianapolis, I hated Indianapolis when I grew mm-hmm. up here. I couldn't wait to get out. Um, but it's a totally different city now. And I would say that if you're a person who has mixed feelings about having grown up in Indianapolis and you start reading Vonnegut's quotes about the place, you change your mind pretty, pretty quickly. I mean, you suddenly are really proud that this guy has all this good stuff to say about Indianapolis and having grown up here.
0: I mean, so... Like what? I mean, what is it about the essence of the place? I mean, it, it sparked his, his comedy. There's lots of comedians that come from Indianapolis. Like, what is what is funny or unique about Indianapolis for, for, someone is, for someone like me who's never been there? Although I am going to the museum as soon as I can.
1: I, you know, I honestly think now that there's an Indianapolis sense of humor. Um, I mean, David Letterman had it. Um, a lot of people seem to have it, uh, and um, it's just in your in your blood. Um, Those are two of the funniest people who've ever lived, Vonnegut and uh, Letterman, and they're both from the same, from Northside Indianapolis.
2: Yeah, I'd like to add something in there, if I may. There's, there's, I mean, that whole Hoosier hospitality thing, there's a kind of neighborliness that is genuine. You know, I've lived in the South, I've lived all over the world, really, and um, there is a, you know, a, a special kind of neighborliness, but I also think for Vonnegut, you know, this is where he grew up. He had extended family here mm-hmm. and he went to Lake Max and Cucky. but he also had the benefits of Indianapolis with its cultural offerings. You know, his family knew James Whitcomb Riley and Booth Tarkington and these, um, you know, notables of the time. He had a, a variety of experiences that, you know, were natural plus an urban setting. Um, and yeah, I think it was very special for him. Yeah.
1: At the time he went to Shortridge High School, it had the distinction of being, I believe, the only high school in the country with a daily newspaper.
2: That's right.
0: Really? Wow, that's pretty impressive, actually.
2: Wow. Yeah. A number of the teachers had PhDs. I mean, it was, you know, it was a wonderful high school, um, and yeah, he was certainly proud of it. Wrote about that, about mainly what he learned about civics in, okay. in school,
1: yeah. It was, it had its own, uh, I, I went to Broadruple, but I, I think every girl I ever dated was from Shurbridge. Um, I always felt <laughs> like I was misplaced. <laughs> uh,
0: no, it, it is fascinating. Uh, so Julia, tell us a little bit about uh, breaking down Vonnegut, um, you know, I mean, there's been, there's a lot of books about Vonnegut and this, uh, you know, what inspired this one and, and where do you think this will fit in the uh, the canon of, of books on Vonnegut?
2: Well, so I had I'm been sure. compiling, thank you. I have been. I love, <laughs> I, it was a great book, a great book. <laughs> Thanks. I've been compiling notes over these 10 or 12 years, uh, you know, on Vonnegut, little things that... Um, especially things that I hadn't heard anyone say that I thought, oh, maybe this is new information for people. Um, but when the publisher approached me and said, "Would you like to, you know, to do this book on Vonnegut?" They said, "You have three months, and that's it. Like, if wow. you need more than that, just don't sign the contract." Um, but knowing it, uh, you know, they labeled it a teen, um, young adult book, and right. I tried to write for an audience of really adults as well as as teens for a variety of reasons but um you know i think there is stuff in here that people are not going to find other places there i tried to make it uh touch on different parts of the humanities not just literature um and it was it was a wonderful experience for me to write that in that in that three month nightmare cram wow, time. Wow, that is yeah. a very tight
0: uh, time frame, and so yeah, I know it, it is uh, instructional, but also uh, you know biographical. I mean, it touches a lot of the you know unique parts about Corbani uh, growing up, and his mar- and it touches on his his, his married life. I mean, mm-hmm. what was the most surprising thing that you came across in your research?
2: The most surprising thing I think, um, which I did not actually include in the book, I, I don't think I put this in, was that um, his parents didn't come to his high school graduation. Um, things like that that made me, I guess, feel a little sorry for him. Um, um, and uh, you know, there's the the other stuff that you know, things related to his personal life. None of that stuff, you know bothered me, or I, I should say like shocked me or outraged me or anything like that. It's like stuff happens in relationships and stuff, but it was really more, um, especially things too about him as a young man and about his experience in Germany and and getting to Germany and, you know, his that war experience. Uh, it's, it's just really unfortunate what he had to go through when so many young men had to go through um, during that time. But, you know, also, I I believe I'm the only person um, with, you know, a book out like this, who has interviewed his um, daughter from his second marriage, Lily, um, you know, just to getting different perspectives. For example, right. Lily said that she never saw anger in <laughs> She didn't see right. uh, a side of him like that and then that's so interesting right that's so what does that what does that mean what what was he trying to do differently or what did age you know what did age bring to him right. um, you know it's just fascinating i'm I'm kind of an, a Vonnegut apologist so I say in the book you'll have to forgive me from the grave you charmed me um but it's I really am interested in how he managed to live such a a life with all these tragedies and to have that positive outlook, even on hard days when he didn't want to. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, that's interesting. And and please, uh, you know, uh, Bob or or Julia, feel free to to answer. But, um, you know, I mean, Vonnegut from, and I I think I've read every one of his books. Um, I mean, I I don't, I'm I'm hesitant to say that because perhaps there's one I missed. but he does talk a lot about his, um, you know, his mental illness and the struggles with mental illness throughout the books. And obviously you even touched about on it uh, with his, his mother's uh, suicide. I mean, was it a suicide and the impact that that had? I mean, uh, you know, he did go through quite a bit uh, and still had this very kind of humorous approach to tragedy, which I think is what, why so many people feel attracted to him. But uh, what I'm interested in, it's kind of you, you mentioned that you're an apologist, is um, how do you think his legacy is going to evolve going forward? I mean, it's going on his 100th birthday. I mean, people, you know, read and interpret works differently with every generation. I mean, where do you see Vonnegut 10, 20, 30 years
2: from now? Um, would you like me to answer that? or okay. Sure. Are you are, Bob. Please,
1: please, Julia.
2: Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um. <laughs> In the first few years when we started the Vonnegut Library, it, it was for me trying to get this thing going. It felt like it was a little slow to take off, and I think people were looking to see wh- how do we um, how do we respond to his death? What did he mean? What will his legacy be? And so these you know ten to twelve years later. Um, we're seeing it. There are so many more books on Vonnegut. There's, you know, that he's being discussed. He's, uh, you know, there's the Bushwick Book Club um, musicians, you know, all these people doing creative things um, that are in, you know, out of respect for his work or somehow influenced by, you know, by his work. Um, and so I think he's going to continue to be important. I think he'll, I just think he will. Part of it is he was a good guy. Was he perfect? No, but he was a good guy. You know, he, his mistakes were not anything that, you know, regular people mistakes that happen. And, um, and he acknowledged those mistakes and he wanted to improve himself. Um, he tried. I mean, that's the thing he tried. And, you know, when I was reading the book, I have a chapter on the book, player piano. Here's this 20 some year old guy writing this book full of philosophy, full of wisdom and life experiences. And he's in his late twenties, like, wow, profound, really. And that was the first one, you know, and then we, have all the others, um, but I'll turn it over to you, Bob, to, to share your thoughts about well, Legacy. If you, you no, know,
1: I, I, I was reading Vonnegut probably 30 years before the two of you, and so was my wife. And our take was completely different at the time. We thought, wow, this is wonderful. We love it. But this is going to crash and burn, you know, in, in, in 10 years because he's got all these um, references to popular Breakfast cereals and and uh commercials and pop culture stuff that doesn 't translate from generation to generation, so it 's just going to be like amber you know uh, and of course we were totally wrong people people uh, love it today, it, maybe even more than we did it doesn 't I mean, seem to bog it down at all
0: that's actually a very a very very astute observation. I forgot there is a lot of pop culture references in it, and somehow you just pick them up or it places him in a certain time and place. But um, yeah, no, it's actually, it's very true. Um, so, okay, uh, maybe a touchy question, but do you have, and I'll start with you, Bob, do you have a favorite book?
1: Uh, I would say probably Cat's Cradle. Um, mm-hmm. And I would also interject, when I toured the museum with um, uh, the, the curator, um, it, the most, most interesting thing he said was, um, almost everybody who comes through on the tour, they're all crazy about Vonnegut and almost nobody's favorite book is Slaughterhouse-Five. They all have, they say, oh, I've read it and I loved it, but I like Breakfast of Champions or I like Mother Night or something like that. Everybody's got a personal favorite and they feel perfectly free to name that instead of the, his breakout book.
0: Oh, well, that's true, actually. I mean, I, I also don't think Slaughterhouse-Five is my favorite. So, so you, sorry, which one was your favorite? Cat's Cradle. So why was Cat's Cradle your favorite? What about it?
1: It was very Indianapolis and Hoosier-centric. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was very funny. And yeah. I never read a book like that before. And the idea of caresses and false caresses, and uh, it just knocked me out.
0: Right. And, I mean, you did mention in your article that you and Vonnegut, you feel like you're in the same caress.
1: False oh, caress. Yeah. But did Julia, did you answer that question? Favorite no, not book?
0: Yeah, Julia, what's your favorite book? Oh, that's such a hard, I was going to say Slutterhouse 5 <laughs> just Oh, kidding. okay. Well, he could be the one. Maybe that's why you run the museum. <laughs>
2: well, I um, some of the short stories affect me more than anything else he has yes. written. One is called DP, and it is... Um, written about a a little boy who whose father is an african-american soldier and his mother is a white german woman post-war and she puts this little boy in an orphanage and you laugh you cry i mean i cried almost every page of that very short short story but wow he he just The way he can write about the human experience and here he's writing about an African American boy. My second favorite is called Adam. And he is writing again, um, observations of a Jewish uh, individual, a Holocaust survivor, and to, to, I don't want to give anything away there. But those two stories, for me are why Vonnegut is brilliant, how he can capture that what it means to be human and suffer and, and also joy and humor, you know, these things. Um, so those are my two favorites, but also the different books of letters, the love letters that he wrote to his first wife before they got married. And also the collection of letters just throughout his life that Dan Wakefield put together. I, I like the real body. I like the right, the nonfiction right. probably better even than the fiction. You know, I-
1: One night in D.C., I had dinner with um, Dave Barry, speaking of great humorists, and um, we had a good time together. Um, And it turned out that his favorite book is uh, Welcome to the Monkey House. And so we just went through story by story, our favorites. And boy, I love that one. You know, it, it, it was so much fun.
2: That does sound like fun. (laughs) fun. So
0: I, I, okay. So I'll tell you uh, that my, my favorite was is mother night. I mean, I probably, I can't even count the number of times I've read it. Um, And, and Julie, you did just point out to me that I don't know those two short stories. So clearly I have not read everything. So now I need to go find those two short stories. Um, And sometimes when I don't have, you know, um, a lot of time, um, I will sometimes turn on the film of Mother Night and watch Mm. snippets of that. And I've also watched that, I don't know, probably a hundred times. But that kind of leaves me, I mean, and I love the movie because I love Mother Night. But, you know, it wasn't a well-received movie. Like, has there been like a Vonnegut film that's done really well And why not? I mean, I, I I
2: don't know why is there not a great Bonnie film. There is one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, other than the great Bob Whitey documentary, but oh, that uh, was a big
0: documentary, sure. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: Um, but the um, the short story, who am I this time with Susan Sarandon and Christopher Walken? Very short film. It was done in Canada, and it's oh, okay. just. Ending. yes i think it's okay. i think you can find it somewhere online but oh, yeah, yeah uh it'll be interesting that you know the the rights to slaughterhouse um were purchased for uh, a new film and it'll be interesting to see if that film comes to fruition right what do you, you think know, of? i
1: interviewed him uh Vonnegut told me that uh he had sold the rights to slaughterhouse five you know for the for the movie and then he wanted to put Kilgore Trout in his next book. And the studio said, oh, no, we own Kilgore Trout now. Um, and he had to buy him back for like $15,000 or something. It's Just very complicated.
2: complicated. It's, it's that complicated. Is
0: crazy. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't even know how that's well, – I guess anything is possible. But that's, that is insane uh, and upsetting. I mean, I'm sure yeah. a lot of yeah. fans would be mad about that one. I mean um, – I love Kilgore Trout. I mean, God, that was, uh, I mean, do people come to the museum and they ask about Kilgore Trout? Do you have anything, any anything that references him in the museum?
2: Yes, absolutely. We have art. And also there's a musician who goes by the name Kil- Kilgore Trout and we've featured him in the museum. Um, I mean, it's you know our museum has a little bit of everything like we have a happy birthday Wanda to june bar we just got approved for beer and wine that <laughs> so is amazing another reason to come to the museum we have this beautiful balcony but anyway yes the you know different characters are represented in different ways um and that is expanding so if you've been to the museum before um there are always reasons to come back because we're you know each year we're doing new things with the books and um, the characters, but that is a it is complicated because he used multiple characters in different stories. So right, right. a legal nightmare for for copyright people. To yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I should the museum has probably the neatest gift shop I've ever seen. It's very very creative. Um,
2: really?
1: Yeah. Oh, it's wonderful.
0: Thank ah. you. So, so happy birthday Wanda June. Um, so you just reminded me uh, cause when I was young and fell in love with Kurt Vonnegut um, and I would buy all the books I could find, but you couldn't, it wasn't like, that. you know, it was pre Amazon. So, you know, sometimes you just couldn't find some of the books and I have to admit, I like, got, I shouldn't, I mean, this is, um, I have to admit that. I actually stole uh, happy birthday Wanda June from the <laughs> library and um and because i couldn't find it anywhere else and i just refused to give it up like i i I had to keep it um i don't know i guess they got tired of sending me notices and i i still have that copy um and my son tells me now because he's really into vonnegut that there is this thing about stealing your vonnegut have you ever heard of that no (laughs) okay it's okay it just it's like uh, apparently uh he was uh, applying for a job at a bookstore and they told him that Vonnegut is one of the most stolen books in the store oh. so I wasn't sure if this is a thing uh if this is kind of like a you know I don't know an anti-establishment thing that people do to get their first Vonnegut maybe oh. it's something
2: well I mean my our gift sh- our gift store um Museum storage staff will probably hate me for this, but I sort of love what you just said. But I also, there's also kind of a flip side. The, the, um, when, so in 2011, when Slaughterhouse Five was banned from a rural Missouri school, um we shipped a whole bunch of copies out to students at that school who wanted a copy, but the public library didn't have any copies of Slaughterhouse. And they said they would just disappear. Well, it turned out. There were people who not just stealing because they liked the book, because they didn't want people reading the book as well. We've We've seen that side of it as well. That censorship. Um, piece of it, but that's not what you're talking about. you <laughs> well, no, but
0: actually, that's I mean, that's fascinating because obviously, we're seeing, I mean, the you know, censorship of books has been a really hot topic lately. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I, I
2: wonder, and you said the museum actually focuses on censored books every once in a while. Is well, that right? We have a whole floor related to free speech that includes a wall of banned books, and every September, during the American Library Association's week of banned books, banned books week, um, we 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 go all out we have someone living in the museum as a an activist um and it could be something you know it's it's not always someone related to you know literature sometimes we've had artists um college professors just all kinds of different people um, living in the museum for that week advocating for free speech and people come from all over the place to to see i forget to mention this individual is surrounded by a wall of banned books and literally lives in the museum for uh, for the week and we have all these programs on anti-censorship and even things like cancel culture like we're we're a total um free right. speech organization. So we're not banning anything at the, at the Vonnegut library. And by the way, we do have security cameras in the gift shop. <laughs> <to
0: offer. laughs> <laughs> uh, that could be another art exhibit of all the kids that maybe steal stuff, but I, I don't want to encourage that kind what? of
1: behavior. Um, wife, you know, so cool read read a, a banned book and one of your, I'm making that up when when she, when, he was governor, when when mike pence was the governor of indiana didn't you have his wife come and read a band book
2: we we absolutely did so we did invite karen pence um, to read that was our that's what we did we always invited you know um, the uh, first lady to come read she um, she did and to our surprise governor pence showed up um, along with her and toured the museum. It was interesting because it fell at a time when we had all just um, heard that uh, Mitch Daniels, who had previously been our governor, had um, tried to censor um, Howard Zinn's uh, book on American history. And so, you um, uh, Governor, Vice President Pence and I had a conversation about that. He's a free speech guy. Governor oh. Pence, Vice President Pence, not advocating one way or the other for him personally, by the way. I'm just saying he, you know, he was a journalist and he um, he, you know, he didn't think books should be banned. So
0: which book did uh, which book was read at the event oh,
2: by Mrs. Pence? Um, oh, gosh, it was you'll know it. um it's about a little girl who is a, a sleuth. Um, she's, uh, oh gosh, what is her name? Oh, I'm so frustrated.
0: Oh, it's okay. I was just curious, but that's you serious. know
2: the title. It's so it's a very famous <laughs> children's book.
1: They can um, it in later. They can do anything with editing.
2: Yeah, we can add that in. So, okay, last thoughts.
0: I mean, Kurt Vonnegut's birthday is coming up and you know he he's he's been gone for a little while. I mean, if he were to walk in today, you know, what would you like, what, what would you what would you tell him? Like what has he missed and what would you think he would need to know?
1: All right. One thing that's important to me is the location of the museum. Um, yeah. Julie located it uh on a street that kids like Kurt and I would never have gone near. When we were when we kids, were I mean, it was, it was taboo. It was a very bad neighborhood, and uh, it's it's right there, um, and mm-hmm. attracting people, you know. And uh, I love that about it.
2: Well, and that you know, our building, it's on the, yeah that historic Indiana Avenue, which was once the thriving cultural center for our African American community. And by the way, it's coming back with the Madam Walker Ooh. Legacy Center. Across the street, um, and we're so we're so proud to be among that. Um, you know, our urban league is right there as well. But I think I would tell Kurt, you know, a lot of stuff has happened here, Kurt. <laughs> a lot of stuff, and guess what? Everybody turned to you because during the the twenty twenty pandemic. We got more people coming to our online programming from all around the world, and they were saying, we need Vonnegut. And if that's not, a, you know, a legacy to, to leave, I don't know what is. Um, he is timeless and he'll always matter.
1: If, if that's not nice, then what is? Yeah.
0: So true. And I think that's a perfect way to end off. So thank you so much, both of you. Uh, It was such a delight to talk about my favorite writer uh, for 35 minutes. And, um, (laughs) you know, this was this was great. So hopefully we can have you on again and we can talk more about it at a a later date. Thank you so much. All right. Take care, both of you. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.